0: the gift of scripture. Uh, we thank you for the way that you've caused your words to be preserved uh, over time for our benefit and our learning. Uh, we ask that you would help us now by your spirit to not just read the words of scripture, but to treasure them, uh, to learn from them, to live by them, uh, and so that we who are encouraged by your word would actually hold on to the joy of knowing Jesus and the joy of the eternal life that he brings. Uh, we ask this in your son's precious name. Amen. How do you know if God was being kind to you? Now we're quick to spot injustice. Uh, I wasn't taught as a child to cry out that it's not fair, and I haven't taught any of my children uh, that statement. But somehow they just instinctively know to say because we're quick to spot when treatment is harsh. Uh, but do we recognise kindness as easily? Uh, in many ways, Ruth, and that's what we're looking at this morning. Ruth too. Ruth is a book of kindness. Uh, in the opening chapter, Ruth is extravagantly kind. She clings to this destitute mother-in-law of hers uh, and yet Naomi was so consumed by bitterness that all she could see was emptiness. She was, she was overwhelmed by her lack and so that she could no longer see any good that she had. And as the story rolls on, as we move into this second chapter, this second episode, uh, the question that that should be rattling around in our minds and the question that's going to help us shape our life and our thinking is how would we recognise the kindness of God? Uh, Like a well-structured play, uh, we move into the second episode. And so Naomi fades off into the background and Ruth moves into the centre stage and then enter, from the other side, Boaz. Boaz. In verse 1, a great man of standing and wealth. Um, his fullness is a contrast to Naomi's emptiness. And he's from the Limelech clan. That's helpful if you've been with us before because you know, oh, that means Naomi knows him. And the episode is set up, it's structured in such a way to, to draw our attention in to the conversation of two people and one particular day. Uh, the first meeting of Ruth and Boaz. Uh, it's, it is a story of action, um, it's really, it's the conversations that control the pace of this book. Uh, so it's more like one of those serious character-driven pieces that you might go and watch at the Dendy or the Orphium if you're into those kind of films, probably foreign. Uh, unlike, you know, it's not like the latest Bond flick, Okay, This is about conversations that move things on. So the the chapter begins and you've got a conversation between Ruth and Naomi in verse 1 and 2. There's a bit of a structure up there, I think. Uh, And then we go to a conversation between Boaz and his workers. And then Ruth and Boaz have this extended conversation. And before we back again go to Boaz, speaking back to his workmen, and we finish where we started with Ruth and Naomi chatting to each other. Uh, structurally, if you're putting it all together, it's it's like the writer has gone and put a big arrow in the margin and to point us to say, this is where the real action is at. This is the conversation we need to care about. Because the key conversation reveals Ruth, uh, who is an outsider, a desperate outsider. And Boaz, uh, an insider of generosity. Let's have a look at that conversation again. Verse 8. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. Don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and and follow along after the girls. Um, I've told the men not to touch you. And whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars that the men have filled. At this she bowed down with her face to the ground and she exclaimed, Why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you left your father and your mother and your homeland and you came to live with the people you didn't know before. Well, may the Lord, Yahweh, repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favour in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me comfort and spoken kindly to your servant, though I don't have the standing of one of your servant girls. R- Ruth places herself as a, an outsider and all she wants is favour. So earlier in verse 2, she's introduced as Ruth the Moabitess. You know, we, we as readers aren't to forget she comes from a people who just aren't welcome. Uh, if you don't know the history of Moab, Moab uh, as a nation started from uh, an act of incest. Where a daughter got her father drunk that she might become pregnant. Uh, centuries later, after they'd become a nation, the Moabites refused help to Israel when Israel were desperately in need and wandering around as refugees. The writer doesn't want us to forget that Ruth comes from a, an unloved and unwelcome people, and Ruth herself is painfully aware of that. So in verse 10, she describes herself as a foreigner that is, I've got no rights. And that's why she says, you know, when in verse 2, she's gone to the fields to pick up leftover grain from anyone in whose eyes I find favour. What she wants is favour. She wants mercy. She wants not justice. And so in verse 10 and 13, she says again, I'm looking for favour. I'm looking for kindness. I want to say there's something refreshing about a person like Ruth. You know, she she hasn't bought into the L'Oreal lie you know, she doesn't think she's worth it. Uh, instead, she just wants mercy and forgiveness rather than trusting her own goodness. Uh, I spoke earlier uh, this week with with a woman uh, and, uh, yeah, for her, she was uncomfortable with the concepts of God's forgiveness. You know, uncomfortable in the sense of she just kind of wanted to do it herself and figured she just has to do a bit more uh, and God would be, you know, showing her, giving her what she deserves. Uh, It struck me a little that this woman was that self-confident, that she didn't even need to find mercy from God. Uh, Whereas Ruth is refreshing. She bows down on the ground before Boaz. The picture is she throws herself on his mercy. Uh, But Boaz looks at her and what he sees is not a foreigner to exclude, but someone to include. So notice he didn't describe her as an outsider, but he describes her as a woman of esteem. So in verse 11 and 12, what he does, he overlooks her legal status. Yeah, I know you're a foreigner. He's well aware that she doesn't deserve it. But he, he praises how she's given up her homeland, she gave up her, her birth family uh, to be with her mother-in-law. He praises the way that you know she's a woman who's worked hard. He, he heard the report from uh, his workers about how she's been there from the start of the day, she took a little break, but she's been working hard so that she can care for her mother-in-law. And Boaz uses words that are inclusive. Do you notice the reapers call Ruth just the Moabites? Uh, it's a descriptive word to, to kind of separate, to show how she's different from us. Yeah, so often um, we as people are just tempted to, to define people and view people as how they're not like us rather than how they're similar to us. Uh, it's like if we went around calling you know, Paul just the Englishman. Uh, or Suzanne, we could call you the American, uh, or Martin, we could call you the Indian. Uh, you know, so that it's offensive, isn't it? In the sense, of it's it's exclusive. It's pushing you away. It's saying you're not welcome here. It's alienating. Uh, Ruth is just a you know a nameless ethnic foreigner kind of to the Reapers. Uh, even Ruth has bought into that. She knows she's a foreigner, uh, but Boaz he welcomes her in. Uh, He speaks about how she's taken refuge under God's care. So he lifts up this woman who fell at his feet and he wants to reward her and see her rewarded. Uh, Our nation is a nation of immigrants. Uh, Whether you travelled here recently by plane or um, have boat people heritage like mine who came out on the first fleet. Uh, You know, whether it was one generation ago or ten. We quickly forget though our refugee heritage. There's no shortage of people who seek refuge here but um, as a nation I I don't think we're known for lavishly welcoming them. Uh, Sure we welcome some, Uh, we welcome the ones that are like us, You know, the ones who speak like us and think like us and look like us. In other words, we welcome us and we like us. But there are many others who seek favour in Australian eyes and yet are shunned. Uh, Last month uh, the Human Rights Commission labelled Villawood the worst facility it had ever seen. Uh, Commissioner Graham Innes criticised it saying the facilities in stage one are not appropriate. They're small and enclosed, they're not well lit. They are very, very prison like. Um, he goes on and said he was particularly concerned that people on suicide and self harm watch were taken to those kind of areas. Uh, and he went on and said detention over a period of time with no clear end does have a negative impact on mental, on people's mental health and yet we put them there. We, we claim, yep, we're the nation uh, of the land of the fair go. We've we an anthem. I don't know if you've ever got to the second verse but it has a line that says, for those who've come across the seas, we've boundless plains to share. Because uh, it's in the second verse, I suppose we can forget it. The reality is just like every nation, this isn't just an Australian problem, Every nation has the lurking problem of racism, of fear of the foreigner, that, that seeded resentment that kind of bubbles up when we see you know, parts of Sydney where the street signs aren't in English. Uh, or or people on the buses that, that don't speak our tongue or, or neighbours who don't celebrate our customs. You know, so easily it can slide in. And what Boaz does, he overturns that, doesn't he? He he lavishly welcomes the outsider and he brings her in to eat at his table. It's a kind of approach that that, that smashes uh, that racist approach. Now that might be us as citizens and I suspect though that there's a sharper edge for us as citizens of heaven. Now Boaz is an insider not just of Israel but of God's kingdom uh, and so he's welcoming someone who's who's decided to take refuge under the Lord's care, God's care, our God. Now I do think our church uh, as a whole, we, we do welcome uh, spiritual outsiders who seek refuge with the Lord. That's a great thing. Uh, we should praise God for that. But we should never forget that none of us are naturally insiders to this kingdom. It's only by grace and only by his mercy that we are part of it. And so that's got to shape the way we treat others, hasn't it? The advantage of our congregation generally being not too big, our building isn't massive, we're not full. Uh, We can have morning tea afterwards, we can get to know one another, Uh, but we've always got to remember that, that actually welcoming someone is going to be more than just a little bit on Sunday morning. Because it in no way, you know, a polite conversation over tea and coffee in no way matches what Boaz is doing and he's lavish welcome. Because it's more than words, isn't it? He's lavishly generous to her. Um, he, he knew the law, so God's law had set up that you had to actually care for aliens and strangers. So in Exodus 23 verse 9, you weren't allowed to oppress an alien um, that is a foreigner, not a person from out of space. Um, you yourselves know how it feels to be aliens because you were aliens in Egypt. Uh, Israel, they were a, a refugee nation and that had to shape the way they treated people who came for refuge to them. Uh, there was even a law that Ruth was taking advantage of uh, in Leviticus 19 um, and the law basically spelled out that uh, when you cut your crop, leave the leftovers. Uh, it wasn't encouragement to be messy, it was actually a way of caring for the poor. So leave the leftovers, leave bits behind so other people can pick them up because God is your God and you are aliens. What we notice with Boaz, though, is he's not content just to say, oh, the bare minimum of the law, I'll stick to. Uh, he's lavish and over the top with generosity. So in verse 8 and 9, he says to Ruth, stay in his field to gather uh, because other places might not treat her quite so well. Uh, when he offers her water, what he's doing there is overturning convention. So what would normally happen is that um Foreign women who might work there, they would go and fetch the water and bring it to the men, the Israelite men who are working. What he's saying is, no, 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 the Israelite men will draw some water, you feel free to go and drink theirs. In verse 14 and 15 he says, come come over and share a meal with me. Not a snack, but share a meal with me. The, the, the symbolism is he's saying, come into my circle, into my friendship circle. And at the end of verse 14 you see, she ate all she wanted, And still she had leftovers. Uh, When the meal was over though, uh, Boaz wasn't content that he just gave her one good feed. Uh, He gave his men some special instructions in 15. Uh, As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Instead, just pull out some stalks for her from the bundles, leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. In other words, pull out some of the good stuff, not the scraps, and just drop it conveniently in front of her so she's well looked after. Uh, and in the, the amount of barley, the EFA he sends her home with is the equivalent not just of a day but, but uh, fortnight's wages that he sends her home with. We we've got to get the picture here that here is a man who understands the principle of the law and isn't content just to stick with the letter of it. The principle is look after aliens and strangers. Yeah, sure, there's a bare minimum, but but he goes over the top because he's got the principle. He understood the kind of open embrace that Jesus had. Jesus showed great welcoming and hospitality to even the most undesirable. Jesus was actually notorious for the kind of company that he kept. He was indiscreet. He even gave this kind of tip for having dinner parties. In Luke 14, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, don't invite your friends. Don't invite your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbours. Because if you do, they might invite you back and you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they can't repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. That was how Jesus used to invite people to his eternal wedding banquet. He died for his enemies, he died for the outsider, the unlovable, the one with no rights, who could only ask for favour. And he expected that the people who took up that invitation would adopt his policy when it came to dinner parties. For God doesn't show partiality. And Boaz has gripped that you know, a long time before Jesus turned up and, and maybe we need to. Now, we we sit down uh, a little worn out after Friday night because we've had all our friends over again and we think to ourselves, whew, oh, what a great night of hospitality. Uh, or we look at people uh, that we know with those fantastic catering skills, you know, who can put on something for you know, 20, 30 people and, and not even work up a sweat. Uh, and we think, oh, there's hospitality, that's the gift. It's a great skill, but, but biblical hospitality... Uh, in Romans twelve thirteen we read, practice hospitality. Um, it's about lavish kindness to people who can't repay you. It's opening up your life to, to those who aren't your friends and treating them like family. You know, hosting your friends one week and then going to their place next week is great. Um, I love it. It's lots of fun to hang out with your friends. You need to keep doing it. Keep loving your friends. But it's just not hospitality. But hospitality can create new friendship Uh, and often with people you least expect Uh, because it's a a, a profoundly subversive activity if you get into serious hospitality Uh, because it destroys barriers and Jesus is an indiscriminate host and that's what defines hospitality, not the the quality of the spread that you put out uh, but the guest list. Jesus sought sought friendship and fellowship with people who weren't deserving in the hope that um, his holiness might rub off on them, so to speak. Uh, And our hospitality has to flow from that same source that God has first been kind to you and me. Uh, It's not so much a a, a duty and a responsibility, it's just a response to God's kindness, to show it to others. Uh, And so in the, the New Testament... There are two lists given of qualities that you should look for in, a, in an elder, an older man, those you should lead, um, listed twice and hospitalities in both of them. Because indiscriminate hospitalities, it's not extra to the gospel, uh, it's essential to the point of the gospel. For some of us, I suspect that means we need to rethink how we do hospitality. Um, I'm aware studio apartment living uh, which is the reality for some of us, is not easy to invite a family of visitors into. But I do know someone who uh, instead, therefore, buys takeaway invites people to the park, Um he how to do it. Uh, and there are other ways of opening up our lives to people. Uh, for some of us, we're, you know, perhaps we're so full with, with work and regular commitments we don't have time to actually open up and have hospitality. Painful as it is, that means it's another way of saying we haven't got time to be godless. The story of Ruth and Boaz is an outsider seeking favour and someone on the inside who is outrageously kind. But as we run through the story, we mustn't miss the unseen character and the kindness of God. So the spotlight is on Ruth and Boaz, but the unseen character, the director behind the scenes, uh, plays a vital role. So throughout the story, God is guiding the incidents. In verse 3, hey, she just happened to be in the field of Boaz who is a relative known to Naomi. Uh, Even more, Boaz just happens to turn up on the right day when she turns up from Bethlehem. And and in verse 20, he just happens to be a kinsman redeemer. We're going to look at the significance of that next week. Uh, The clincher, though, is in in Ruth and Boaz' conversation in 12 and 13. Uh, Boaz asks that the Lord would repay her for taking refuge in God. And Ruth replies, her reply shows that that God has given that kind of reward through the way that Boaz has comforted her. Because the kindness of God, where do we see it? In the kindness of his people. So when Naomi gets the report back of everything that's happened in verse 20, she says, the Lord bless him. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he has not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead. And there's a certain ambiguity there as to is the He not stopping, the one who hasn't stopped showing His kindness, is it the Lord or is it Boaz? And there's an intentional ambiguity there because, well, yeah, both. Both the Lord and Boaz, the Lord through Boaz, God has been faithful. And so now Naomi, who is overwhelmed by bitterness, can see something at last of the kindness of God. At last she recognises that God's kindness is seen even in the very mundane realities of life. God's kindness is seen through his people. Um, Two two quick significant implications. One is it invites you and me into the privileged position of being conduits of God's kindness. I love the word conduit. It's a great chance to use it. Um, About a decade ago we... um, We lived in a three-bedroom house about a block from Bondi Beach. Uh, It was a place we couldn't afford, but a Christian friend owned it uh, and he charged us the same rate that we were paying for a small flat in Mortdale, because he knew we needed to move to the east. Uh, He could have got three or four times the price, but he wanted to help us. Uh, God's provision through the kindness of one of his people. Uh, One time we went to... To Ireland, before we lived there, uh, we'd gone over to, um, to visit and uh, see some people. An older Christian couple graciously opened their homes to us, uh, knowing that uh, we needed a place uh, to stay for a few nights. Um, they'd never met us in person, but they opened up their home. Yeah, God's provision. And I get to see it here. Uh, I know people who befriend others who aren't necessarily easy to befriend. Now, I know people uh, here who've opened their homes to host strangers, uh, people they've just met um, in a park and have them stay. Now, we're an expat community, and that's a great and beautiful thing. Uh, and unlike suburbia, where you kind of have the same friends when you're 50 as when you're five, um, we see people come and go all the time, and, and that's a beautiful thing. It means we need to keep being open to welcoming outsiders into our circle, and I see people doing that, and that's great. I see God's provision. I see us taking up the privilege of being conduits of God's kindness. The other thing is it should lead to God's praise from you and others. God didn't set out the world and run away. He's there intimately in the details of life. You don't need the miraculous to see that God is being kind. You see it in the mundane reality of his servants being kind. So in Matthew 5, Jesus said, Uh, Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. They put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. When other people see Christians living lives of kindness, it's the good character of God that's proclaimed. So what's something kind you've done recently? I don't ask so you can boast about yourself, but so that you can be passing on the kindness that God has shown to you because your kindness will give other people a chance to recognise the kindness of God and to see his provision for all who take refuge under his wings and in the shadow of the cross. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the kindness you show showed to us in the Lord Jesus Christ and the kindness that you show to us in your many provisions each day. Father, we thank you that you welcomed us outsiders of your kingdom uh, to be insiders who inherit the goodness of heaven. Uh, Father, we pray that we would be people who therefore are shaped by that uh, and long to share the good things you've given us and lavish them on others. Uh, We ask this that your name might be praised. In Jesus' name, Amen.